idea that at 23 I was offered this opportunity went on the air at 24. Like, who who knows themselves at that age? Who really has the ability to, to, to like hold that space? But I I faked it, you know, and I and I was authentic. Like I was true to myself. I I, I treated people with respect. It was groundbreaking at that time, and it was mm-hmm. a phenomenon. And it also led me to where I am now. From ABC, it's No Limits. I'm Rebecca Jarvis, and each week we're talking to the most bold and influential women playing at the top of their game, trying to demystify success and what it really takes to get there, and all the trade-offs. Whether you're looking for answers or you just want to hear a good story, you're in the right place. On today's episode, I grew up watching this woman, from what I can remember, pretty much Every day throughout my childhood, Ricky Lake started her career when she was just a college freshman. She auditioned for Hairspray. At the time, it was an untitled film and earned the lead role of Tracy Turnblad, which ultimately launched a decades-long career in the entertainment industry. She went on to become one of the most well-known talk show hosts in the country. That's how I ended up seeing a lot of her. In the last few years, Ricky has discovered a new passion for producing documentary films. She chooses topics that can sometimes be controversial and hopes that through her filmmaking, she's giving people more information than what's already out there. Her latest project, Weed the People, is no exception. Here's Ricky Lake. Ricky Lake, welcome to No Limits. Great to be here. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to have you with us here. I was just saying, you, I, I grew up with you. You were there in the backdrop of my life growing up, and I loved you growing up. I think you've done incredible things with your career now. You have this really broad spectrum of talents and things that you've developed along the way. The new documentary, Weed the you. People. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I love the journey I've taken, and it's so funny with talk show for doing it for so many years you know so many people like yourself you know it's there's an intimacy because when you're on tv on and you're yourself like i'm not playing a character it's not right. like I'm a character on friends it's me being me in people's living rooms twice a day you know there's a relatability and a it's like you yeah it's like you you did grow up with me and i grew up with you you know <laughs> well it's probably a little weird for you when people run up to you and they think they know you and they don't exactly know you but you shared your opinions you know you really did share yourself i did i did but i was really young like looking back on it now i have a 21 year old and a 17 year old the idea that at 23, I was offered this opportunity, went on the air at 24. Like, who who knows themselves at that age? Who really has the ability to, to, to like, hold that space? But I, I faked it, you know, and I and I was authentic. Like, I was true to myself. I, I, I treated people with respect. I really pride myself on the way we were able to handle all kinds of relationships, including gay relationships, you know, treat everyone equally. And um, it, we, it was groundbreaking at that time, and it was mm-hmm. a phenomenon, and it also led me to where I am now. I was going to say that word, authentic, because I think in some ways not having the whole like overly manicured, overly processed personality right. that you see sometimes on television was to your benefit. Absolutely. And I think that, that that my career before that, which was doing Hairspray and being this sort of underdog, this girl, this girl next door who achieves and overcomes adversity and gets the guy and, you know, people rooted for me. So I think that helped in in making me appease, appealing in, to an audience, you know, in the talk show uh, genre. And, um, and again, the credibility that I've had from that has helped in putting out these provocative, controversial subject matters. Yeah. I So you grew up near here. You grew up in New York. Hastings on Hudson. Yeah. So I'm just outside the city. I went to high school in the city. 
Um, I'm a born and raised New Yorker. Yeah. Did you always want to be an actor? Was that always your dream? I wanted to be a performer. So I wanted, I loved singing. I loved having all eyes on me. I loved live theater. <laughs> you were that dramatic kid. I was, yeah, I was that awkward, chubby, you know, I was not, I wanted to be Annie so bad. <laughs> oh but my God, my, me too. Oh, my mother said I wasn't the starving orphan type, literally, <laughs> verbatim, and basically squashed that my dream. My grandma would say the exact same thing to me when I was growing up. <sighs> she called me pleasantly plump at the time. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, yeah. I love my, my grandma is now gone, but this this grandma Helen, God but, bless um, Helen. she's amazing. She was amazing. Uh, but anyway, yes, my mother was less than amazing. I'll just say that. Oh, my really? Mother was not. No, she was not a maternal mom. I mean, I just I, I did. You don't get your, your the deck of cards you get doesn't give you everything. And I did not get the maternal nurturing mother. But but I you know, again, that helped me to become who I am. And so super independent, super, you know, take care of everything myself and you know, I'm hopefully a better mom than she was to me. Did it in, in did it instill the fight in you? Did it make you hungrier, do you think? I mean, I, I think I always had a hunger, but I also just, my grandmother, my grandma Sylvia, who died when I was nine, she instilled in me this belief system that I can do anything, that I'm the best. You know, I mean, she really, really was my, my number one fan. And she didn't live to see my success, but 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 what she instilled in me, I think, helped me in, in having the confidence, you know, to play the girl in Hairspray, to play Tracy right. Turnblad and to be this big 200-pound girl and yet believe that I was the best dancer and believe that I could get the guy um, yeah, I, I mean, definitely was her influence. That's an incredible mindset, by the way. The belief in yourself, really, that you can do anything. Yeah. Truly. I mean, people talk about it. It sounds a little cliche, but to actually internalize that is a big deal. Yeah, and it's at the same time, I was also very insecure. So it's like both extremes. Yeah. You know, it's a complicated, complex thing. But yeah, you know, I did sell that role and I did, you know... I think I did a good enough job that that character has lived on in in other ways and stuff. So yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's 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 a balance of belief in myself and also being so naive and green and just, you know, yes, and not having the force. Like I couldn't when I did Hairspray and made the film in 1987. I didn't even process that it was going to come out and that it was going to make me a star and that it was going to mm-hmm. lead to all these doors opening. I didn't even think that that far ahead. Even when the talk show, when they gave me the talk show, I was like, oh, well, they, they offered me the job. They must think I can do it. I didn't foresee that it was going to run for all these years. And, you know, I, I, I didn't see it. And even with The Business of Being Born, the documentary I made with Abby Epstein 10 years ago, again, it was a personal project that I wanted, to, I had to do. I, I was called to do it. And I didn't even underst- really like understand that it would have this impact that it's had and the, and the longevity. And, you know, it's just crazy. And I want to get into all of the producing that you've done now and the transition and just how you made that work, because I think a lot of people are looking for various pivots in their lives and trying to figure out how to do it. When you initially did the audition for Hairspray, how did you get the audition in the first place? How did you figure out that path? Because I would imagine it would be really complicated, it mystifying. Was, I mean, it, it was divine intervention, literally. <laughs> I, I had never heard of John Waters. I had never heard of Divine. I was a freshman at Ithaca College. I was a musical theater major at Ithaca College. I was 18 years old. I was miserable. I was miserable up there. I was Why? that... Uh, the, the the drama teacher that I had, and I, I remember her name, and I'm just not going to say it out loud. I, I, I think she's still alive. But she basically told me I wasn't talented, that I didn't have what it takes. I think she didn't like fat people is what I think. Like, like I'm, I'm guessing, but that was my take on it, that I was being 
uh, penalized for looking a certain way. She said that I did, I wasn't going to make it, that I should give up, that I could I should switch you know career choices, and so that was really dejecting and really really upsetting. And then I'd heard someone told me that there was a, a, a local audition in New York for a fat girl who could dance for a new John Waters movie. And I didn't know John Waters, but I was like, I, I'm a fat girl and I think I can dance. And I drove down during finals week and met John at the at the first audition. I went to a callback a few weeks later and got the part. And again, it was like, oh, my God. Like for me, in the moment that I got the part, it was like, oh, my God, I don't have to go back to Ithaca College. <laughs> like it was, was just like, upside. that was, yeah. And I was going to make like $20,000. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, it was that. So it was short-term gain. That turned out to be, you know, gave me my career. How did you navigate from there? From doing from, the movie? From and, doing the movie. You know, you're so mm-hmm. young. You don't exactly have some mentor who's saying, Ricky, well, do this, no, don't do No, John that. Waters was John, my mentor. Okay, so he's your mentor. Oh, he, well, so he's telling you how to watch yourself I'll in this crazy you exactly world. exactly what he did. And I believe what he did for me in that moment, which I remember specifically, um, that that it, it helped me to stay grounded through this crazy business. So he sat me down. This was after the movie finished. We finished shooting all summer. He sat me down in the fall. The movie came out in February. He said, I want to sit you down and just, I want to offer you some advice. He said, your life is about to change. He said, I want you to remember these three things. Always stay humble. Always stay true to yourself. And if you're going to read and believe the good things people write about you, you're going to have to read and believe the bad. Mm. Like literally, I think I remember it verbatim. And those things stayed with me. I've managed to, I mean, anyone who's known me since then, I am pretty much the same person. And there's just this crazy roller coaster ride that you go on in this business. And I've I've been reinventing myself here and there. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm so grateful to him for for exposing me. To I mean that 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 community that makes those films it's it's just so inclusive you know I'd never been around openly gay people until I was on that set of that movie and here I am playing Divine's daughter you know it was just it was this summer of a lifetime and what he taught me what I gained from it and um, and I really became you know who I am through through that experience Wow divine intervention for sure big time Th- those three things that he taught you were there ever moments where you had to bring yourself back. To the three things, or were they just so ingrained in you that it was part of who you have been and were at the time? I think of it all the time. I I go back to that, you know, because it's just it's it's so easy to lose yourself with. I mean, anybody's life, like yeah. the journey that we go on, and, and all the things we have to overcome, and letdowns, and disappointments, and betrayals. I mean, I've had a lot of drama in trauma, drama uh, in my life. You know, I've overcome a lot, and and. You know, it's like a grounding. It's like it's mm-hmm. like a it's like an internal grounding. So I I you know I work on myself. I mean, I just I've had a lot of you know, I've just gone through a lot, and I and I'm getting better with age, I think. But I but I go back to my roots, and and John Waters certainly is my roots. And I just saw him recently because you know it's the 30 year anniversary of Hairspray. I just turned 50, so um, we did this like screening at the Academy of Arts and Sciences, like the Academy Awards for our <laughs> film. And it was just this surreal experience to to be there with him and some of the other cast. And I brought my 17 year old with me to the screening. It's this thousand seat theater in LA with the Oscar statues on either side. I mean, it was we did a Q and A, and and I'm with my son who was basically the age I was when I made the film 30 years ago, and it just was just a head trip. You know, it's. I wouldn't change anything, you know, my career, my life, my, my, the, tr- the loss, you know, it's like yes. all of it has been, it's been so challenging and also so magical. Has there been a moment along the way where it felt like you made it or that it registered in your mind, I've arrived? Oh my God. Well, little things like being an answer or a question on Jeopardy or something like that, <laughs> or being in the New York Times crossword puzzle <laughs> is like a feeling of, oh yeah, I made it. And I, I think doing my talk show, you know, because by the time I did my talk show when I was 24, 
and it was such a huge success. But I was in debt. I had lost my house. So I had had my house foreclosed on uh, like a year before that. So I was in major debt when I got the show. And suddenly I'm seeing these paychecks of just, you know, which substantial. And I ended up making a lot more money later on. But like seeing it, you know, they gave me a bonus after the first year of my show um, because it was such a huge hit. And I had a contract that I was very happy with, but it was not what I deserved in what they were, you know, success. So they gave me a bonus of a half million dollars. Like a bonus, like a, like here you go, you know, like oh, single like, check for five hundred thousand dollars. Yes, yes, and they bought me like diamond earrings for my birthday. You know, it was like <laughs> it was just being like treated like like it was. I mean, I'm giving you an answer. Like all these time, all these moments made me feel like I made it. You know, but um, how did the how did your house almost get foreclosed on? Well, I bought my house. I had a, a business manager at that time. I was about 19 years old, and I'd acquired, I'd made a couple hundred thousand dollars, which to me again was a fortune. That is a fortune. Fortune. But he kind of said I should be putting it into a house. So I was 19 or 20 and bought a house at the height of the housing market in 1989 for, I think it was $700,000. And basically I was on a show called China Beach, which is a beautiful, amazing show, but I was not picked up. My option was not picked up the next year. So I basically bought the house with the mindset I was going to be making all this money. That money stopped coming in and I couldn't pay. I got a second on the house and couldn't pay it and had to walk away. So uh, it was in the end, looking back on it, it was a very good life lesson for me. Yeah, Expensive, absolutely. but good one. Unfortunately, I think a lot of people have faced that life lesson, especially, I mean, 1999 absolutely. was a year, but so was 2008. And absolutely. so many people have seen these housing crises happen over and over again. If For people who are starting out today in the business, do you think it's harder because of social media and the fact that you really are 24-7 there? Yes, and I and I always think that that I'm I, I'm very thankful that I did my talk show days before social media because I think it's too, it's too toxic it's too immediate it's everyone is n- really nasty like mm-hmm. like it's I mean some people are beautiful and say kind things and thoughtful things and I certainly I I'm I'm implicated I'm on social media and I I read and listen and watch but yeah I think it's a very challenging time to be on the air and um. And 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 having an opinion, you got to watch mm-hmm. everything you say. I mean, right. it's like you, you're you're walking on eggshells, and um, so yeah. I, I mean, it's like I, I think it is more difficult these days. I think a lot about this question, just for the not just for a career, but just for our life and what's happening to us internally. And I think that trending topics, the fact that the most polarizing ideas are the ones that trend, where a handful of people may have held an idea previously. Today, it feels like there's literally an entire universe of people who believe something because that happens to be the topic that yeah. is trending. Yeah, I, that worries me totally. Like there's a, there's an agenda behind all of these really toxic kind of pushing of the envelope. Right. Some people are definitely definitely using it because they know that that's going to get mm-hmm. people riled up. And, and I could give gonna... an example of that because I hosted this show, this really crazy show called Charm School back. About nine years ago. Yes, I remember oh, it. Oh, God. I mean, I, I actually, why am I bringing it up? I want to forget it. But it was, I'd never, I'd never been involved in a reality show before then. And so I was really interested in how they produce it, you know? And, and I was on this show and it was these other, these characters that had been on a reality show before. They either came from like the, the Flava Flav show. Like they were all, and they all have characters and they're all right. trying to get airtime and they all want their own spinoff. It's not so really about them as a person. It's right. them as a brand. Right. And they're working to get that brand out there so people buy whatever they're selling. Yeah, I mean, in in the show itself, you know, we had like an alcoholic, a newly like announcing she's an alcoholic. We brought her to Mardi Gras. I mean, it's like it's like this. It's just playing with like this. It's it's just so 
I don't know. It was a really eye-opening experience for me, and I, for me as a like as 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 a talent and what I do, I, it's all about authenticity. It's all about like 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 I don't have an agenda. I'm not pushing some political argue. You know, like I'm raising questions. Like my whole thing is I'm curious. Mm-hmm. I'm curious about certain things. Certain things are I'm passionate about, and that's the place that I come from in the work that I do. You know. Yes, I do. I, I absolutely do. No, I respect it. No. <laughs> well, it's funny because. So you did Dancing with the Stars later on. Yes. I mean, a few years after yes. that. Mm-hmm. So you weren't totally turned off to reality television. Well, that was a different type of show. First of all, that's a super yes. feel good. It's not totally. playing with people's emotions. I, and honestly, that experience, and I turned it down for nine years in a row. I turned that show down. I had no interest in doing it. Why? I, I Because I don't even know why. I just I just didn't see myself. I, I didn't see myself doing it. But then when I did do it, and I did it with an agenda. There I did have an agenda too because I was promoting a new talk show. I was going back on the air and I felt like, okay, what a great way to show to be back in, in front of the audience, you know? Yes. And it was one of the most life-changing, incredible experiences. I would do it again in a heartbeat, even though physically, I mean, I got in the best shape, but I was in pain, you know, everything hurt. It was incredible. And it's the most well-produced show I've ever, I mean, of any reality show. It was incredible. Truly. You had a young fan that you, yes. you talk about life changes. This fan, seven-year-old, she was girl. yes, this little girl. Her, she was seven years old. She had a disease called neurofibromatosis one with NF one. It causes tumors to grow on your nerve endings, and so she, I can't. I met her through social media via Twitter. Her mom would would take her iPad in her chemo treatments, and she'd watch Derek and me dance. And she was a big fan, so I sent her. You know, I told my husband Christian Evans. I don't know what it is about this little girl. I want to do something for her. And so I sent her my dance bracelets. They they make bracelets to match your, match your costumes. They have rhinestones all over them. So I mailed those to her. Next thing you know, we start this correspondence, and I moved her into my house. So I moved her and her family. They lived with us for six weeks. We went on this journey of trying to find integrative care for her, for her ailments, because the chemo was really, really, she was suffering so much. She was like 29 pounds. She was six or seven years oh old. Gosh. And so that's what started this movie. That's that's the adventure we had on. My my husband was researching CBD and cannabis as a as a as a whole plant for his own ailments, and that's truly what started. So so all the documentaries I do start from like a personal experience. It's so personal. It is. It is. And you know, these families, these families we followed for five and a half years, and to not know the results, to not know what was going to happen when they have to go do these scans, and to have like you know a GoPro camera on them, or you know Abby, my director, following them. I mean, it's. It's so brave. It's so important. You know, it's it's and, and, and what we've discovered about what this plant is able to do, both with the side effects from chemo, but also in reducing tumor tumors is is remarkable. What led to you wanting to produce and how did you segue? Well, the the main thing for me. So I was hosting my show. At, uh, this was 2001. So I just had my second baby in at home in my apartment in 2001 and two months later I watched the plane hit the building from that very spot so you that, were in the West Village at I the was time. in the West Village and I went to the roof you know I was watching the Today Show and saw the small plane that hit a building and my husband and my four year old we all went to the roof he grabbed his camera my four year old second I come I was like sure gave the newborn to my nanny and while we were there, I mean, like, like literally he's filming the building and I'm saying, there's another plane, there's another plane. Oh, my God. And in that moment, I mean, I remember it so vivid. We all remember where we were and how that, that w- I, I don't know if you were on the air at that time, but God. I was in Minneapolis. I was I was in Minneapolis still at the time where I grew up. Um, but yes, every I, I have very strong visual memories of that moment. Well, I thought I was going to die. I mean, honestly, I thought yeah. it was the end of the world. Yeah. And no exaggeration. And I, I, I remember being really upset that I was having this man comfort me, my husband of 10 years, I mean, almost 10 years, 
and I was mad that he he was going to be comforting me as I die, mm. which is really weird. And um, and then I also thought like if I die, I didn't want my legacy to be this this show. And as much as I loved, I really really have a lot of. And like respect and, and, and it was an amazing platform, but it wasn't in the end my voice really. Yeah. And so it was after that that I kind of finished my contract on my show. I, I ended my marriage. I moved out of New York and went to L.A. And I soul searched on where I thought I could make a difference. Like where can I actually like really have like a positive impact? And so I was so profoundly impacted by my birth experiences, one at hosp- in a hospital, one at home. That I wanted to explore that. I wanted to ask the questions like why don't you know why don't women really seem to care about how their babies are born. You know, they want to be disconnected from the process. Why don't they want to be empowered? And, you know, so it was just, that's how we started. And Abby and I had met doing vagina monologues here in New York off Broadway. And she had made one documentary already uh, until the violence stopped. So, So it just, we went on this journey and it ended up being this fortuitous, beautiful, personal film that I didn't even think again not thinking through to the, like the, the you know what's going to happen but I didn't under I didn't really see that there, that people would care about it I didn't know if it would mm. actually matter to people but um but it turns out it does matter women do care you know how, how they want a healthy baby they want a healthy mom but they also want to be empowered in the process if they can be you know how how take us behind the scenes of how you produce a film I, I, I'm assuming it involves a lot of finance of, of getting the money raised. Yes, that is the hardest You part. have the idea, mm-hmm. and then you have to convince people to pay for the idea. Well, the first one, the business being born, no one, we couldn't convince anyone to help us, so I funded really? it myself. Yeah. So, and I was also, I had talk show money at that point. You would think point. that today, by the way, if that came out now, you'd think that there would be so many advertisers lining up. You think so? I don't know, because it really is about kind of less, less is Pampers. more. Kind I don't of, know. <laughs> I don't know, but it was very controversial yeah, when it came true. out. That's like, true. Like they were not. I mean, it's funny because like we we screened it at St. Luke's Roosevelt here in the city, yeah. where I gave Which birth is to right Milo. Near, yeah, and Abby gave birth to Mateo, her son, in the film. So we, I thought it was going to be like this beautiful, like with for Grand, grand Rounds. We did for all of Grand Rounds, and and it was they they screamed at us. They called us Nazi filmmakers. They they you slandered us. You, I mean, they were very upset about the film then. Cut to eight years later at UCLA, I was given the Mother of the Year Award, you know. So yeah. we knew when we did that screening at St. Luke's that we had touched a nerve, that we mm-hmm. had, you know, and um, no, we didn't slander Which makes them. you feel like we, you did your job. Yeah. I mean, it was scary, you know, because it's like it's really poking the tiger, you know. It, it, it is. But again, like I, I'm all about informed choice. Like my whole basis of everything I do of late is about offering the the information and hopefully giving the the public a chance to make an informed choice when it comes to their bodies, their babies, their health, whether giving their kids medicinal cannabis for their ailments. You know, we want I want them to have all the options. Um so you you've been talking about Abby, your your producing partner. My work wife. We just stayed friends because she was living here in New York at the time and I had moved made the move after 9/11 to move to LA mm-hmm. and she and I stayed in touch and I said look I have this I have this idea I want to do this project and I gave her my nine hour home birth video that I'd never watched I gave her two books <laughs> Spiritual Mid- Midwifery by <laughs> Ina Mae Gaskin this pioneer midwife and another book by an anthropologist named Robbie Davis Floyd America, uh, Birth as an American Rite of Passage and I said here and she went and took all of it and read everything and she's like 
I think it's a documentary. I think, it, you know, and that's how we started. And, it, you know, it's like, okay, I'll buy the equipment. Okay. We hired her boyfriend. You bought the equipment. Yeah, we bought the film equipment. And we, you know, we had her boyfriend be this. He's a cinematographer. He came on board and we just went on this, you know, three and a half year journey. And what, what we didn't expect is that Abby, who didn't even really know what a midwife was or care what a doula was, she got pregnant halfway through making the film. And then we turned the camera on her. So, you know, and then what happened to her ended up balance, balancing the film and, you know, all of it happened exactly the way it should, and and um, it's it's my greatest accomplishment of my mm. entire career, by far. You know, how long did Weed the People take? It's been almost six years. So we started in 2012, but that footage, some of that footage, we didn't end up using in the film. The, the stuff you see in the film is from 2013. Yeah, and talk and about personal with with my husband and with your husband. Yeah, I mean, Christian was the one who was researching this this medicine, and so he was bedbound a lot. He had migraines, he had chronic pain from a back back um, a car accident, and uh, he had anxiety and sleep issues. I mean, he had all these things, and yet he was my favorite person I'd ever known in the world. Like, I mean, he's just he was my greatest teacher. He's my he never ever like we never fought. We never. We, it was just this beautiful relationship. But he was bi- bipolar. And um, and I think he was trying to keep that together for many years because I didn't understand. He told me when we met that he was bipolar and he was actually suicidal when I met him. But I didn't understand what that was. I didn't know what a manic episode looked like. I, I, I was when he told me that and I was like, oh, yeah, and I'm, I'm a control freak. Oh, we all have our things, you know, mm-hmm. like I did not understand. And I think for him, he he stayed relatively stable for four years. We were together for four years before he had his first manic episode. But cannabis was something that was really Plant medicine in general was something that was really he was really passionate about. He wanted to explore for himself and ultimately to help others. With legalization happening now in so many places, where do you think all of this goes? I don't know what's going to happen. I, I mean, to, to, to think that we brought this film in the summer, we brought the film to Oklahoma because they were having their Dead Center Film Festival. They invited us to come and we thought, oh, it's two weeks before the referendum. You know, we maybe could have some impact in this area. And they screened it only screened it at the festival. They screened it a bunch of times after to get people, you know, to informed. And it passed. I mean, in, mm-hmm. in arguably the one of the most conservative states in this country it passed by 58 percent. And they did say that our film had something to do with that. So I have high hopes that this could be a great tool, just like the business being born was a great tool for people who are newly pregnant, who don't know really what their options are. This is the same thing. I think it's really it's 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 easily digestible by the mainstream. We don't have an agenda. We're we're not, you know, pushing. We're not in the cannabis business. And you tell um, diverse stories too. We do. Yeah, yeah. So I just I think this could be really. The, I, I and and I just uh, was at a dinner at, at UCLA in LA for um they, the, the cannabis research initiative that they're doing there, and they were so proud. They had all these philanthropists and all these scientists and doctors talking about all the research that they've been doing for eighteen months. And I'm sitting in the back, and I'm like, we've been doing our research for five and a half years, you know, <laughs> like they. And I feel like they need someone like me, you know, like not. I don't mean that sounds that sounds really, but I think we can work together, mm-hmm. you know, with the science, with with the doctors, and with the anecdotes in our film, you know. Um, yeah, so so they're going to host some screenings there. We just hosted a screening at USC. Um, and that's what we did with The Business Being Born. That We did an educational version of that film that was it's being taught at you know women's studies class, as ethics class, medical school, nursing school. So, yeah, I mean, the idea that I was a talk show host and I was Tracy Turnblad and I'm doing these movies that are now, you know, being part of like like study programs in, in, in college when I didn't even finish college. It's really it's really thrilling. Why didn't you finish college? 
Well, because I got hairspray and I never went back. So my first year at Ithaca was a misery, and then and then I got my first film, and I just sort of went on that ride, and then got the talk show. So of course, but my child is now applying to colleges, and I'm like, you're not quitting school. <laughs> Why <is laughs> do that? as I say, not as I do? Um, because I think it's harder. Because I think honestly, I got lucky. I got very very lucky. I think I had the goods. You know, I was I was really I am a really good host. I'm a really good listener. Um, and I made made the most of everything, you know. I like, but I don't think it gets handed to everybody. I think there's a lot of talented people, and um, yeah, I mean, a, bu- a bunch, a couple of his friends dropped out of school, dropped out of college. Like they're older than him, and he's telling me, "Oh, Matthew's moving home. He dropped out." I'm like that's not an option for you, dude. <laughs> you know, <laughs> unless John Waters comes to pluck him out uh, out of obscurity and offer him a lead role in a movie. You know, he's staying in school. Does he want to act? <laughs> no, 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 no. He doesn't. He's an artist. My my youngest is a visual artist. My oldest is a writer, English uh, major and cinema studies minor, and uh, they're great. They're great. Like they are. I'm I'm very happy with how they're turning out. So you don't have any investments in any cannabis stocks or not companies. yet. No, um, but no, you? my portfolio. I think I have a small piece of GW <laughs> Pharmaceuticals, but that's with my. You know, I didn't even I didn't even do that myself. That's part of my portfolio. But no, I'm. We're looking. We're looking. We're very interested. Abby and I. You know, it's like you don't get rich off of documentaries, and I'm not looking to get rich. I would love to do a product that actually can help people. What's been the toughest lesson for you along the way? Oh my god! I mean, lesson. Um, losing my husband, uh, to, to mental illness and suicide has been, um, the worst thing I've, I, I've ever had to overcome and, and probably ever will. I mean, I, I guess they say losing a child maybe. I mean, I don't know how you quantify it. I, I lost the one thing I wanted in my life. Like literally I would have given up everything to keep him. And, um, so having to go on, you know, and it's only been 20 months Having to like get up every day, you know, I have, I don't, I don't have an exit plan. I can't, I can't leave my children. But yet there were days and months where I, I didn't, I didn't want to get out of bed. You know, I, I never understood depression. I mean, I lived with his depression, and I saw how much he struggled to get up and rally, and you know, and and it's one thing to witness it; it's another thing to feel that. And I never felt, I never suffered from depression until I lost the love of my life. And um, so it's not really a lesson. It's just like. It, it, it's 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 an exa- like I've, I I I I I'm I, I'm so resilient, you know. Yes. Like I really am. I'm someone. I think that's my middle name. I just have. I I really have rallied and gotten through my darkest days, and I I do see the light again. I can feel your resilience sitting across the table oh. from you. Genuinely, I mean that. Thank. You. Was there was there anything in particular that helped with the healing process? If if you think about the journey those 20 months yes <laughs> and it's going to sound crazy and i'm so not crazy but i've done every i mean everything you can do to heal whether it's ayahuasca or um i i went i did sound bath healings i went on the i did burning man i went to the eclipse fest i mean i've gone like i have i've gone to the limits of anything i could do to heal and the one thing that helped me the most I had a psychic reading with a medium, and I used to have them on my show all the time. So I have, I've had, yes. like, I have an in with these people. I could a lifeline <laughs> with them. Fifty percent discount. No, well, no, but this one, yeah, th- this one is next level. And um, I don't even want to. I, I, I want to give her name, but I. She's so busy, and she's she's eighty one years old. She's out of Cincinnati, Ohio. It was on the phone, and she channeled my husband for an hour. And I know it sounds crazy, and I, I, it's like, I had the most incredible experience. And um, 
I've always felt him. I've always felt his spirit with me. I the 11s, you know, he he took his life on the 11th of February at 111. He sent the suicide note. He had an 11 tattoo the last time I saw him on his neck. And I know it's a sign for me. It means twin flames, it means eternal soulmates. And so I see 11 more times than not. I look at the clock and it's on the 11 and I'm not kidding. So anyway, it sounds so woo-woo and I hate even it's just it's it, but but it's my belief system, and so I've had this extraordinary experience with this woman and with my husband, who's no longer here, through her, and so that has really helped me tremendously through getting through this. You just gave me chills. Mm. I looked up at the clock just to see if it was getting. The chills. It wasn't because I didn't look at it. Um, so I ask everybody here about the worst advice they've received along the way. What is the oh worst advice? You've received along the way. I know well, it can I think be my, a my, 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 my well, maybe no. That 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 acting teacher telling me that I'm mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not talented or that I'm not special and I should give up my career. That was pretty bad advice. Um, my that that would probably be the worst. But I didn't listen to her. Did you? I I get that you didn't listen. Did you hear her at the time and think there could be a kernel of truth in what yes. she said? Oh, yes. Yes. Because I was really frustrated because I would, you know, participate. I didn't get cast in any of the plays that, that year at school. I auditioned and they didn't pick me. You know, so I was pretty dejected during that time. And I, I didn't have my circle at the school. Like, I felt like such an outca- outsider. I was very overweight. The guy that I had a huge crush on was gay but didn't come out until sophomore year. So, you know, I thought it was me. I thought he, didn't, he wasn't attracted to me. You know, it's like nothing went right for me during that time. But so I did think there was like a kernel of truth to it. But then, you know, life turns on a dime. I mean, that's really like I've just I've noticed, you know, even with losing my husband, so much magic has happened since he passed, you know. And um, so it's like it's like it's like what we say in the business of being born. You can't have the ecstasy without some of the agony it goes mm-hmm. hand in hand. And that's true in life. Like it's like the pain that I'm feeling after losing my husband the way I did is only a reflection of the love that we had, you know? So it's, it's, and I'd, I'd much rather have gone through, have had that, you know, I, I would do it again in a heartbeat knowing how it ended, the love that we had and the, the, the unconditional support that I felt and didn't feel from my mother or father growing up. I felt from him where, where do I sign up for it again? You know, I would do it all over again. You're going to make me cry. Mm. Um, this was a great conversation. Ricky Lake, thank pleasure. you so much for joining us. On my no pleasure. Limits. Thank you for having me. Really great. All right. It is the end of the interview, which means it's time for our No Limits Entrepreneur of the Week, where we feature one of you, our amazing listeners, who's building something of your own. And this week's No Limits Entrepreneur is LaDan Davia. She is the CEO of BIA, which is a career site that uses artificial intelligence designed to eliminate bias and promote equal opportunities for all job seekers. In order to do this, she created a mathematical algorithm to power the search engine not keywords. Here's Ladan to tell you more. Hi guys, my name is Ladan Davia and I'm the CEO and founder of BIA. BIA is a meta search engine for jobs where we use artificial intelligence to match our job seekers with listings from 46 affiliate partners like Indeed and ZipRecruiter. I think my biggest struggle since starting BIA has been not being taken seriously as a female entrepreneur amongst men in our industry. Um, I can't tell you how many partnerships and deals I have lost because I will refuse to go on a date with the person on the other end of that partnership. And a way I have gone around that is by not giving up, making my boundaries very clear, and knowing when to just move on to a different partnership. I promise if you are going through the same thing, 
to stay the course, don't give up. And in the end, it is so worth it. You will be heard and you will make a name for yourself in your industry if you just don't give up. So smart. Well, I wish Ladan and Bia continued success. Remember, you can head on over to my Instagram at Rebecca Jarvis to hear more of her story. Don't forget if you or someone you know should be featured here on No Limits as the Entrepreneur of the Week, you could send me those nominations or those career questions to No Limits with RJ Podcast at gmail.com. I want to say thank you to all of you who take the time to write in. Thanks to all of you who take the time to write us reviews. They really do make a difference. We really appreciate it. And finally, a shout out to the wonderful team here that helps make this happen every week. My producer, Taylor Dunn, editor, Brittany Martinez, research assistant, Annie Osakwe, and the ABC radio team, David Rind, Elizabeth Russo, Josh Cohan, Andrew Kelp, and Steve Jones. We've got the exclusive view behind the table. What is happening here? It's just beautiful chaos. Every day, right after the show, while the topics are still hot, the ladies go deeper into the moments that make the view the view. To be honest, I was thinking about asking him for a foot massage, and then I I just froze. This is the best gig on TV. And you know, anything can happen. That is what we do here. I'm not going to lie, the chair's a little small for my behind. (laughs) (laughs) The View's Behind the Table podcast. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.